Take two. You ready? Hit it. Okay, I'm Garrett McQueen. I'm Scott Blankenship. And this is Triloquy, true and real stories from the fringes of classical music. Scott, in the um, earlier opuses, I remember um, I kind of got into the habit of just asking how you were at the beginning of uh, each one. So how are you doing today? So, so how are you feeling today? Um, it was a rough morn. Yeah? Yep. And what way? Uh, I think I'm fighting off a bug again. Oh, a yeah, little, just, yeah. little body sickness. Yeah, I'm just about 80%. It's all right, though. I'm going to make it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and it's it's not just the physical um, health that's important, but the mental health that's so important. And, um, you know, I, I, I feel comfortable just coming out and saying that last week I had sort of a rough week when when yeah. when everything piles up and you start to question, um, you know, your life's purpose and what you're doing with your job. It can get really rough. And uh, and I'm uh, maybe I'm about 80 percent myself. Maybe I'm just about 80 percent uh, over that hump. It's just hard to. Uh, you know, get out of your own mental slumps sometimes. Have you uh, have you had much experience with that sort of thing? I've had nothing but experience of getting myself out of mental slumps because yeah. when I was working overnight before you arrived, it was just me and Radar. And he doesn't say anything. Mm. You know, he's very tight-lipped when, he, when he, I come he, to him. He for... can make a couple sounds. <laughs> but he doesn't offer much insight. So, um, yeah, it was just me slogging through um, any time that, you know, there was um, a, a rejection uh, in dating or something happens back home with the family and sure. I'm miles and miles and miles away. Um, you, you just have to find what it is that gets you through it, that helps you to power through it. What brings you joy? What as, brings you joy? As you asked. So what does bring you joy these days? Right now, the guitar. I go down and I find if I get a little workout in with the guitar, it's it helps me feel a little bit more buoyant. Yeah. But as far as listening, uh, anytime I put on Steely Dan, it gets better. I have nothing but positive memories and, and experiences around Steely Dan. And if I'm in a good mood, I put on Steely Dan and it gets better. So, I'm going to look up some Steely Dan to listen to. Oh, I let me let me help you there. I'll put together a mix. Okay. I okay. got you. Well, I mean, yeah, basically what you're saying is that music brings you joy. And, and, yeah. and, and you know, my roughest uh, of patches throughout my life uh, and recently, you know, there are just a couple songs that that um i have in my back pocket to just help me uh feel a little better you mentioned steely dan for me my feel better songs um include um you know beyonce's version of before i let go the old uh uh frankie beverly hmm. uh tune i think it's frankie beverly uh i should probably look that up but because <laughs> somebody's gonna kill me for that but um uh, but Beyonce's version of Before I Let Go, uh, the Gap Band's um, Outstanding, you know that song, don't you? That's one of those classic black um, wedding reception uh, electric slide tunes, you know, the dance that you say you can freak with spin moves and oh, all yeah. that stuff now. I've got it down. <laughs> but... Um, but, you know, uh, last week when I and and by the way, we're starting out this way because we're going to um, we're, we're hearing from a bunch of kids today and sort of music that enriches them and um, and and helps them get through tough times, happy times, whatever. But um, but I, before we get to that, I just wanted to mention uh, that the song that kind of pushed me um, ahead last week was the uh, Wilson Phillips Hold On. Of course, you know that song, right? Well, because <laughs> I was a youngin' when it came out, and I was rolling my eyes at it on the on the radio. It, it just felt a little uh, saccharine to you or something? It did. It did. It was too sugary. And I guess in that time, it was. My introduction to that song was on the movie uh, Bridesmaids. Um, the uh, One of the bridesmaids, spoiler alert, you know, one of the bridesmaids surprises the bride at the ceremony 
by bringing out her favorite group to sing one of her favorite songs. And like Wilson Phillips actually came out and nice. sang Hold On. So that's that's when I first became uh, familiar with that song. I was reminded of the song while listening um, to the Joe Button podcast a few months ago. They were, uh, you know, having the conversation of what is pop music? You know, we always ask the question, what is classical music? Yeah. Well, they were going down the rabbit hole of, well, what is pop music? And they were talking about all these different sorts of songs and what they would be considered um, if they couldn't be considered pop. And Joe Button uh, and crew uh, considered the tune Hold On um, a sort of white R&B song. I forget what they called it R and I forget. Uh, anyway, um, so yeah, listening to that song as I was getting ready for work a few days last week, just especially on my last uh, night on before the weekend, you know, hold on for one more day. Yep. Really? Um, seeps in deep. The other part of the song that I've been repeating in my head over and over is you could sustain or are you comfortable with the pain? And sometimes I have to ask myself, am I comfortable with the pain? Have you ever asked yourself that what, or considered that I, idea? I ask myself, what am I doing? Yeah. What? Why are you continuing down this path when it gives you so much consternation? And I, yeah, I always end up making it through somehow just through grit yeah and then of course um every time i'm in my lowest of lows there's always uh some listener or some listeners uh on on my radio show that you know send me notes yeah just reminding me about how important our jobs are and right. um and yeah I, I got a couple notes last week that just really made me feel right you know folks are just reaffirming what the importance of our jobs the power of of music the power of classical music and and how it can uh, get you through you know those rough times but what you have to remember is when you are tired and when you're busy and mm -hmm. you got deadlines looming that's when it's the easiest yeah to get down in your feels right right and uh, do keep in mind that the next day you sent me a text and you said, boy, everything looks different after a night of sleep. Boy, yeah, you know, or a you... day of sleep in my case. But right, yeah. but rest. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, and if you've got somebody to talk to and if you can ha and if you can get rid of whatever vitriol you're dealing with, then you can sleep much easier. You know, like if you allow yourself to have a breakdown, if you do a little scream therapy, you know, mm -hmm. where you get in your car and drive on the interstate and just scream <laughs> i have to protect these golden pipes of mine i can't be doing too much screaming scott uh, you you would be surprised <laughs> okay all right uh and and you know in in closing of this part of the conversation um on uh, on the music through the night facebook page um you know on my last night on the air i usually try to offer the listeners a sort of a farewell goodbyes link or or video for the weekend mm -hmm. and i was just kind of open with the listeners and saying i was having a, a a rough week emotionally and i um i i dived head first into that uh wilson phillips song and um i really i really hoped to find a like string quartet or piano arrangement of it um but i did find um a choral arrangement that uh i think you might appreciate so how about we listen to just about maybe 20 25 seconds of uh, of their of, of this rendition of it Someday somebody's going to make you want to turn around and say goodbye. Yeah, I mean, that is a feel. You can say it was, I can understand how that was saccharine for you, but uh, at least when it came out. But, who? goodness gracious, I know that song, a lot of my friends call that a white woman jam, <laughs> and I don't care. <laughs> because, goodness gracious, if that song didn't get me through, goodness gracious, I don't know what would have. So shout out to the Seattle Ladies Choir. Uh, that performance uh, took place in January of 2016 at their season 10 uh, winter concert. So if you want to hear the rest of that, be sure to uh, look them up on on the interwebs and, uh, and find the Seattle Ladies Choir. Man, right. goodness gracious. So uh, on today's opus, um, 
And we're going to hear from some kids about music that gets them through and uh, specifically music that they uh, could consider classical. So I'm, right. I'm going I'm to give you a little uh, background information. So when I first uh, came here, Scott, uh-oh. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why that started playing. Shout out to Nicki Minaj. All right. Um, <laughs> um, whose whose music got me has gotten me through a lot of different times as well. Just by the just side note. Okay. Uh, anyway, so uh, when I first came here uh, last summer, um, and I was getting on the air for the first couple of months, I started hearing from uh, this guy named Kevin Ward, and he uh, teaches um, at a local school, uh, the Avalon School, a sort of an, an alternative sort of education where where kids can you know form their own curriculum. And, and just be in, in an environment that's a little safer and more equitable for them. So you'll see a lot of uh, uh, kids uh, who identify themselves as on the queer spectrum at this school, kids who just, you know, can't learn most effectively in that traditional setting. So, well, it's um, nice that that's an opportunity. It is, yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, Kevin Ward uh, teaches at the Avalon School, and after – Oh, man, almost a year, you know, of me just trying to figure out my schedule and, and get myself together. We finally connected and he invited me to visit the Avalon. And this happened to be on a day when a neighboring uh, a similar school uh, was visiting uh, and they're called the Jennings School. And I was supposed to uh, go in front of the class and, and speak to them. Now, the first thing I saw when I walked into that room was I saw the mostly white students of the Avalon sitting on the other side of the room of the mostly black kids from the Jennings School. So um, I I went there with them. You know, I talked. I wanted to. I wanted to hear their perspective on this very uh, visual uh, racial divide I saw in the room and. And, you know, we tied it in with music and my job and all that sort of thing. But, you know, kids these days are just so or those kids anywhere are so thoughtful, um, so uh, willing to engage difficult conversation in an effective way. And I was so impressed um, by what those kids had to say. Now, accompanying the kids from the Jennings School at the Avalon School was their teacher, Val Honey. And um, I asked her just a little bit about the Jennings School, what it is and what its history is. So you are at Jennings Community School. We've had many names, but that's our latest one. Wayne Jennings is the founder of our school. So we've been in existence about 20 years as a charter school. And I'd say what makes Jennings Jennings is that we see each one of these students as having individual passions and gifts and strengths. And from the moment they walk in the door, we want them to capitalize on those and customize their high school experience around that by individual project-based learning. So like a lot of kids come through the door and I think these, these students can say it's true, not everybody stays and hooks in. Those that hook in really take advantage of how this place can work for them and how they can like find their future and their pathway, designing their learning plans or individual learning plans around where they're going next. So we're always looking at what do you wanna do next when you're out of here to better yourself and develop yourself and be happy and fulfilled in your life. So like we try to customize their learning plans around that. How old do you have to be to go to the school? It, I think it's a, a high school, but it seems like there are middle school kids there. So at, at least seven through 12. Okay. So next year I'm going to be 50. So I'm, I'm too old. Yes, you are too old. This sound, <laughs> no, the reason why the reason why I ask is because what this, grade would that be? Twenty seventh grade. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like um, such a, a positive fostering environment, you know. Yeah, and it sort of reminds me along the lines of what the Dreyfus School down in Palm Beach, Miami, does. Mm -hmm. You know that um, people, uh, these students, are allowed to. Uh, follow a passion which wouldn't be covered necessarily, you know, by the regular curric curriculum. Yeah. And also fosters a safe environment. And it's not one of these huge facilities. You know, I would, it's probably as, as about as big as the, the main floor of your house. Like it's not a big facility. So you have this big open space and then on the outer areas you have, uh, I don't think they even call them classrooms, but workspaces. Mm. One, one is like a, a full fledged wood shop where I, I saw this young girl and they're building a ladder or something. And of course there's like the art room. So yeah, if only, um, because you know, I, 
I will say that when I first heard alternative school, I was thinking one of the bad boy schools, you know, like I had to go to you when I was cutting up in eighth grade. But yeah. th but this is not that, you know, this is very much let these kids live, let these kids learn and thrive in the way that's best for them. So first, first and foremost, shout out to um, the Avalon, to the Jennings and, and any other school um, that's like that, because that's so important for so, so many youth. You know, I, I don't want to go too deep down this rabbit hole, but uh, yesterday when I was at your house, we were talking about how like the bullying and that sort of thing wasn't really a thing for me, but mm -hmm. you know, it was for you. How, how, how different would your high school experience be if you were in an environment where you were nurtured and allowed to be completely you and you didn't have to worry about any, any of wow. the negative, you know? Wow. To not worry about how I was going to get from one class to the next unscathed <laughs> to be able to go to lunch and eat your lunch and not have part of it taken or, um, um, have somebody slap your hand and knock the food out of your hand onto your clothes. Your high school sounds like a jail they had me in one time. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Shout out to but, Earl, Arkansas. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, would you say that the Jennings School is like the Montessori system? Do you know anything about the Montessori yeah, I, system? I think it's so. Uh, Kevin Kevin Ward, who introduced me to both of these schools, his wife. Uh, shout out to Jess. She works at a Montessori school. Okay. And and what she how she describes her job reminds me a lot of these. I'm not familiar with that tradition, but what she says reminds me of of uh, of what this is like. What the Jennings and what the Avalon is. And do the parents? pay for this because it's not part of like a public school system or or, or is it just do, how do how does a student have to qualify to go it, to Jennings? I, I think you just um i think you just apply to get there we'll, we'll put links to both of uh of these schools in the description for uh for folks to check out and our own um our own uh, Jody, who who works with us here uh, on the fourth floor, she, uh, she told me one time that she knows a few kids who have gone through those schools. So, mm, yeah, nice. it's um they're they're highly highly celebrated and very important uh, institutions. Um, so anyway, so while um I was at these schools, um I asked you know I, I gave the kids what I consider classical music and my job and how I define um classical music as music classic to an experience or classic to a culture. Mm -hmm. So as much as Mozart is classical music, for many people, Stevie Wonder is classical music because that is very classic to their experience. I've always mentioned Nina Simone calls what she did black classical music because that's music that was born from from her experience mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and from what she considered, uh, you know, the black experience. So I, I gave that spiel to the kids and asked them to talk to me about music, songs or, or artists that they consider classic to their experiences. So that's what we're going to uh, go through and, and hear today, just what these different kids were talking about. Let's play past the mic. Okay, so my name is Devana and I'm 17 years old. And my classical music would probably be like old school music, so like TLC and like old Beyonce songs, Destiny Child. Yeah, so it was really uh, interesting for me, Scott, to be in the position of feeling a little aged because when she mentions TLC, you know, I think of music from my childhood. I'm, I'm not sure if she was even alive at No Scrubs. Or yeah, how's, how's that feel to all of a sudden feel like you got liver spots showing up on your hands. I guess I feel like I made it. A lot of people didn't. <laughs> well, I, I go on to ask her um, about similarities and differences that uh, she perceives between her two favorite composers, if you will. Beyonce, she, she got some more hip songs now, but some of her old songs remind me of their group too, so that's why I said kind of. Now, as much as I love and cherish Beyonce, she was, of course, a part of a group, something that the that the kids may not always think about. So I had to ask her why she compared TLC to Beyonce and not uh, to Destiny's Child. I don't know, like some of her songs just by herself, I like a lot more than Destiny's Child, but I like Destiny's Child's songs, too. <laughs> no, I like both, but... The kids are going to be all right. They love Beyonce. <laughs> Ugh. But it's something that... Uh, that that young lady uh, said old school music, you know, even when she was talking about TLC, that's the mid 90s, late 90s, right? Right. 
Yeah, I remember my reaction when the music that I was listening to in college was all of a sudden on Retro Radio, 104.5 uh -huh. Jack <laughs> FM. You know, and I'm going, wait a minute. I I still have this CD. Hang yeah. on. Yeah. I, I I just think, you know, with her bringing up TLC uh, and, and Beyonce, um, I just think about a young lady being able to look up to other young ladies, young women, you know, and, and having that role model, having that role model and, and those musicians speaking to, um, like I said, her um, experiences. That's that, that's really something. I wonder if we could have more of that in, uh, in classical music, if there were more uh, women uh, musicians up the, to the front or women composers or black women composers and black women musicians, you know, may, maybe that's the missing link for a lot of these kids. And there certainly has to be something modern. I mean, there has to be uh, people of color and women of color who are creating interesting orchestral sound now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you shared something on Facebook, like, uh, like, uh, something from the jungle book or orchestras reaching for something new and <laughs> yeah. the door gets slammed in his face as Beethoven's 250th anniversary. Yeah, Beethoven 2020 is going to be big. And think about all of the, you know, all, all, all of the people, all the kids, you know, and look, no shade to Beethoven. Very important, very important black composer. We'll argue about that another time. Um, <laughs> but it's so no shade to Beethoven. But, uh, you know, think about all the kids we're missing by not uh, right. putting to the front, you know, someone that they can see themselves in. And that and that's even possible in in classical music. Yeah. That's why the Jennings School is so cool is because these are kids that obviously have a lot to contribute and they're good thinkers. And you just don't want to shoehorn them into a system that is going to leave them behind. Yeah. Yeah. Know? All right. Well, let's hear from the uh, from from the next kid. My name is Kimani, and I'm 17, and my classical music, I would have to say, is Suicide Boys. They're, they're from New Orleans, and they're like an underground group, but they're, they're, they're slowly rising. And I would say they're my classical music because I remember back in, like, the first day of summer school, you know, I, I'm thinking, I'm like, you know, I'm confident, you know, big guy on campus, and their music gives like a, like a, like a bumpy vibe, like a, like a hype vibe, you know, and it makes me feel, makes me feel good. And that I listen to that probably... Throughout the whole uh, middle school years, high school years. So. so once again, feeling a little old. I hadn't heard of Suicide Boys, but, uh, you know, as he was describing his relationship with this group, I could just see in his face the nostalgia and, and, and the memories. And I sort of asked him, uh, you know, what it was about Suicide Boys that grabbed his attention and how other groups, other contemporary groups could do the same. Oh, I definitely have that group. Have you heard of Flatbush Zombies? I haven't. They kind of have like the same upbeat type vibe, but it's more like uh, they they add more hip hop to it, but it's more raw, I would say, and like stuff like that catches my attention. Like uh, like for example, Michi Darko, like like uh one uh, I, I, I want to say his lyrics, but it has okay, just like he he gets dark, but in like a biblical way, uh, a hype way, a good way, a bad way. He he just comes from so many angles, and it it makes you open your eyes, makes you see how he sees, like, he paints a whole picture for you, and it's like, I never even thought about that before. Like, like it's crazy. I'm glad for a change I'm not the only old one in the room. <laughs> yes, I had no idea yeah, what, who caught, Suicide Boys were He at caught that you time. off guard. Yeah. And I think that it's a great testament to show you just how much music is out there because we work in a radio station and there's still people that can stump us. Yeah. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. And, you know, what, what I found poignant was that he was talking about how uh, that music gives him energy. It's sort of it's nostalgic, but it pumps him up uh, a little bit. And uh, some of that is, is missing in the way that we think about and talk about classical music oftentimes um, because... It's often treated as this, you know, sleepy time thing, especially, you know, music through the night, what I host. Um, yeah. But, you know, I do my best to, to keep the music as active as possible. Because... You have to remember that for people who are listening to music through the night, that's their time to be awake right, by exactly. and large. I mean, of course, there's somebody up with a baby or somebody who has insomnia or whatever, but most of the listeners are up. At yeah. that point in time. Yeah. So we need to keep that in mind when we're playing this music. It can't all be lullabies and, right. and everything like that. So um, let's let's get your input. What what piece of classical music that you play gets you so what riled big, up? So what big C piece of classical music? Well, um, when I need an extra push on my morning run, 
and I want to listen to some classical music, you know, a uh, short ride in a fast machine is a is a is a great go to. Um, another John Adams pick that I love that's more active is um, the Chairman Dances. Do oh, you yeah. know that one? Yep. Um, and then there's also a, a, a much more contemporary. You know, those are contemporary enough, but even more contemporary is a tune by Mason Bates called Mothership, and it's filled with uh, boots and cats, as I say. You say boots and pants. <laughs> boots and pants. <laughs> uh, but uh, but but yeah. So it, it, it's 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 definitely out there. So uh, shout out to Kimani. And uh, and before we uh, hear from the next student, I just wanted to say, as soon as I walked into the Jennings School, um, I think it was Kimani who said, uh, where do you get your hair done? Because he, he also has locks. He has much shorter locks than I do. Um, and I told him, and the next time I went um, you know, to my hairstylist, she told me, oh, yes, yeah, someone came in here and said that you referred them, and he was so glad to get his locks retwisted. So, you know, just little things like that that we can never forget about, how important, how representation can, you know, help a kid get his hair done, for goodness sake, you know, yeah. just little things like that. All right, let's hear from the next student here. My name is Kat. I'm 17 years old, and classical music for me is like Bob Marley and Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra, because growing up, I grew up with my grandma, and that was, he was her favorite. So that's all she listened to, especially around Christmas, because of his Christmas songs. And then Bob Marley, for me, it's his music and him, like, I, I feel like he's kind of inspiring his quotes and just, I think he was really dedicated to his music. And I think same with Bob Marley. So those are, I think they compare in that way. But other than that, I don't think they could have a lot of comparisons. Yeah, I was really interested in Kat's response because, of course, Bob Marley and uh, Frank Sinatra don't you know, seem to have so much in common, right? Not at all. Yeah, and um, Bob Marley, of course, when we think of his music, we think of him living living in that spirit and, and living, uh, you know, living that life, as they say. Um, so I, I went on to ask Kat if she sees that in Frank Sinatra since she pairs them uh, at, at the top of her list. For me, it would be, I feel like for my grandma, it'd be more about Frank Sinatra himself and his music. For me, it's just about his music. Yeah, the, the the younger kids, myself included, you know, we, we learned so much from the older generation. She got into those two artists, uh, you know, thanks to her grandma. And, uh, you know, I just have to wonder, and I asked her, is it the person, the, the celebrity that you're into, or is it a, a connection to the music that, uh, that attracts you? That's what I do a lot for a lot of artists that I listen to. Like, n barely any of my favorite artists, I don't like a lot of their music. And oh, then some of my favorite music, I don't really care much for the artists. We're jamming. I want to jamming with you. <laughs> I forget which Bob Mar Uh Shout out to Bob. What, what, both what both an, Marley's. What an important musician, first of all. I mean, um, she, she mentioned Frank Sinatra, but... Shout out to Bob Marley, man! What mm -hmm. an important cultural figure! What a wow! Was it, wasn't it you that told me the that he wasn't born? He just walked out of the sea. That's what it seems. It, it seems like to me, like I'm not. I hope nobody takes that away. For me, I always imagine him just sort of growing from the brush and, 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 and existing in and, and, and the hills of, you know, one day out of the hills and the forests and the jungles of Jamaica came this guy named Bob Marley. They say he didn't even know who his father was. Yeah. Um, but what a sophisticated um, sort of philosophy to have about music for her. Yeah. Um, and she talked about hearing that music in the house at a young age and yeah. so obviously that becomes part of the fabric like uh shout out to my brother alan over in abu dhabi right now alan you remember when we would get the herb alpert christmas album out <laughs> and the glenn campbell christmas album those will forever be iconic favorites for me for the very reasons that she mentioned yeah you're, you're, you're talking about christmas albums for me the jackson five christmas album mm. there is there is no holiday and i'm not really a christmas celebrator but there's no holiday season without, without that. that yeah and you know thinking about uh what she said concerning um you know this is what her grandmother listened to so now that's what she listens to when i think about my parents favorite artists um as a kid, kid, you know, when they were more about dancing and clubby type stuff, they loved uh, Teddy Pendergrass, if mm -hmm. you if you know who that guy is. Yep. Um, and then um, every car trip included 
a lot of Anita Baker because my mom loved Anita Baker. Nice. And then I tell the story um, about Thanksgiving all the time. Um, my dad watching his favorite shot day VHS, like one of her live <laughs> concerts. And that would piss my mom off because she's in the kitchen, you know, cooking and, and slaving over the stove. And my dad is kicked up watching another woman sing songs. And anyway, that was also a, an annual tradition. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> shout out to my parents who are still happily married after uh, 32 years. Uh, shot oh, didn't break them up. <laughs> uh, no, but one thing I did want to touch on uh, what Kat was saying, you know, I asked her about um, I, I was touching on an artist's uh, personal life and some, some of their non-musical things. And does that impact the way that you see their music? And for her, um, it doesn't. And um, we talk about all, that all the time in right. classical music. You know, Wagner is the big name where we're like, oh, should we be listening to him? But um, thanks to my research and other podcasts, you know, and, and some of the work you've done, you've had to uh, deal with some of that. Yeah. Hop notes using Strauss's music. You know, I, I waffled on that a little bit. What did you, you know? find out about Strauss? Well, you know, like uh, Katie and Delaney from Classically Black dragged him pretty hard. Mm -hmm. And it was, I that was entertaining. And <laughs> I went. Yeah. And I went ahead. I went ahead and I did my research before I listened to that opus. Yeah. And we found some of the same things. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I know that Katie and Delaney are right now listening and going, okay, Scott's trash. <laughs> and no, but lady, uh, ladies, listen, all, all, I'm, all I'm saying is, is that I found different information. Not all of it is great, but that's for another opus to dig into that. But yeah, I, I, I have wrestled with what music to use in what situations, sure. You're not, you're not trash. I wish I had my "These White Men Are Dangerous" uh thing potted up. I need, we need, I need to do a better job of having that clip ready. Uh, anyway, so yes, yeah, so a shout out to Cat, um, and shout out to um Bob Marley and uh and Frank Sinatra, who who she loves and who she considers uh classic artists to her experience. Let's hear from the next student. My name is Dominic. I'm 18, and uh, I think my interpretation of classical music is the standard of most 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 people. I see it as, um, you know, Mozart, Bach, but I uh, had a few records of mine, uh, my grandfather's and such on a Victrola, so I kind of got into it that way. But uh, it really took me searching for it myself and looking back through my own history, my ancestral history of Europe. The ancestral component is a big one, but it's, you know, the musical virtuosity, the melodic complexity of it. It's just you can't find it anywhere else. What was really interesting about this student is that when you would look at him, you wouldn't think of someone into classical music. I, he was dressed like, you know, he was dressed really cool, you know, with the chains and the and the dark T-shirts. I love stuff. that. Yeah, it's, it's, really, it's really cool. Um, but, you know, when he talks about his connection to classical music, you know, in the traditional sense of, uh, of the phrase and how that connects to his his ancestry and you know his 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 heritage i wanted him to to dive a little deeper into that and, and talk to me uh why that connection is important to him i think there there is a sheen of it where you know the, the people that created it were um from the countries that my family's from but um i just see it as another component of why i'm into it um i appreciate all music by all people you know, it's not just by European people. At this point in my life, I do like to have that connection, that ancestral connection to it. So, of course, I have to ask him how uh, he thinks other folks his age can get into classical music. What, what would uh, he suggest people uh, listen to? And this is what he had to say. You could go more contemporary uh, with, you know, there's a lot of new composers that are, you know, kind of introducing it to newer kind of stuff. Like yeah. they're adding it. I, I might even add... Uh, tell people to go listen to soundtracks. That was one of the, I loved the the Pirates of the Caribbean soundtrack when I was a kid. Uh, Hans Hans Zimmer, Hans Zimmer. yeah. Um, but then I'd go on to some of the, like the more kind of visceral stuff because I think a lot of people think classical music and they think boring, they think soft and edgeless. So maybe even an artist like Wagner who is very kind of dark and deep, and and Beethoven who is kind of boisterous and explosive in a lot of his songs um, to kind of grab the attention of a young listener. But uh, if you go deeper and deeper, you see the complexity of, of just the construction of these songs and the, the concepts throughout all the operas. It's a whole other section of classical music is opera, yeah. which is, you know, a story being told throughout all these songs. There's a, there's a line of, um, of a, like a folktale, this like epic in a way. 
uh, and it's something to sink your teeth into. And I once you once I got into it, I, I can't stop. It's yeah. it's just uh, if I listen to, to a contemporary pop song, I just don't get as into it as I do with say you know. Um, like the magic flute was one of my, one of the first ones I listened to. One of the first operas I really got into, just the story and how it all intertwined with the music and all the different acts, and it was it was it was mind blowing to me. There is a lot to unpack here, um, and, and I definitely want to hear all of your thoughts. But I just first want to say that the magic flute is also a, a favorite opera of mine. You know, it starts with um, with uh, Tamino running from a giant snake and then he's um and then he's saved by uh three ladies who end up you know working for the the queen of the night that's by the way that's where my twitter handle comes from mcqueen of the night (laughs) because i love the magic flute uh i've always thought about that opening scene as just a bad drug trip because what else could that be you know you're running from a a giant snake and then three magical ladies save you and you become friends with a bird catcher and then yeah, there's a and there's a little racism in that opera too. We'll talk that, about that another time. Are you thinking there was a little absinthe involved, maybe something, whatever they were doing back then? Well, and also, you know, the uh, Queen of the Night aria has to be r- right up there as far as difficulty for yeah. sopranos. De Hola Roche, yeah, and, and soprano uh, coloraturas specifically. And the, the only other one that I can think of is maybe the final aria from Cinderella, which yeah, um, probably matches it. But and and um. You know, I actually like um, the the Queen of the Night's first aria in the in the opera better than the first one. I think it's called Ozitra Nietzsche or something like that. Mm. It's more it to me. It sounds like a flute sonata or a clarinet sonata, but this woman is singing, and and that's and and that's what puts the coloratura in uh, soprano coloratura. You know, your ability to really treat your voice like an instrument, flip mm. and trill, and do all sorts of things. That yeah, um, really really incredible uh, Mozart opera, The Magic Flute. Look it up and uh, and and take a watch if you're unfamiliar. It's all, there's one on YouTube of the the whole opera that I've uh, watched a few times. But uh, Scott, what I want to <laughs> unpacked what i want to unpack some of the things that uh dominic said um talking about the you know his people creating this music and that's while you know while i applaud this young man for you know drawing that connection and really discovering classical music in his own way that seems like something that we fight against so much the idea that classical music is strictly a european art form and mm. and and that's what we need to uh, what, what are your thoughts on what he said um there was i i thought it was nice to hear him think about heritage yeah you know um and i don't think that he he wasn't talking about it that raised any sort of negative idea to me yeah um if I think about the composers from my heritage, then I would be doing, you know, I would probably be talking a lot about Rayfon Williams and Elgar and um, Irish composers are escaping me right now. But uh, Hamil- John, Sir, uh, Sir Hamilton Hardy, John Field. Yeah, John uh, Field you know, was also like Irish. Yeah. But and, and I also uh, took notice of him talking about how uh, opera he was so it was the spectacle of it which devon gray talked about in a past opus that it hits on visual art there's the costuming aspect the scenic design the music and the words all it's it's an all-encompassing art gesamtkunstwerk as as the germans say uh You know, I interviewed Missy Mazzoli uh, about a year ago, and she talked about how she got into opera from watching MTV. You know, those 80s uh, music videos with the big hair and the costumes, and (laughs) you know, that was a production to her. And it just reminded her of what opera could be. So that's why she writes contemporary opera. Um, And Didn't I I show you Rock Me Amadeus by Falco? Yes, you did. About 84. Yeah, I, is that the one where the young woman is eaten at the end? Like she turn is a cake, and they're cutting her up and eating no, her. No, that's don't come around here. No oh, more. okay, that wasn't classical. Oh, well, rock me, Amadeus. Okay, I'll you'll you'll By have Falco. To, yep, go look it up. Yeah, you'll have to show me that again. But anyway, yeah, uh, shout out to Dominic. I thought that was a uh, that was a great answer. So some really uh, poignant thoughts uh, from him. All right, let's hear from the the next young person. Uh, my name is Shavarius, and I'm 16, and. Uh, I kind of had to think like hard for what's my interpretation or like what's my classical music yeah. that speaks more to me. I mean, an obvious one would be Tupac. He sparked like a 
big fire. Yeah, so one of the first things I needed to know was why he is even familiar with Tupac. I guess I know why, but... You know, you have to wonder how the why the kids uh, are able to uh, listen to and find and engage music by artists that they didn't even share their timeline with. So he, he goes into that a little bit here. My mom, she's real big on music and she plays all types of genre. Like she'll go back to Mozart or she'll go to Tupac or she'll go to Maroon 5. It doesn't really matter, but she played a lot of music growing up and uh, Tupac was a big one because she grew up with him, and she was actually alive at the time. Yeah. And it was kind of to educate me, really, because instead of, like, sitting me down, I mean, I was a hyperactive, like, three- or four-year-old. You're not going to sit me down, you know what I mean? I'm over here jumping off walls and stuff. So she would play the song and, like, music from him, and obviously I wouldn't connect with it at that time because I was very young. But as I grew up and I kind of searched for it on my own, I realized a lot of stuff he said and a lot of the stuff that he wrote about spoke to me deeply in my heart. Like about three years ago now, my uh, dad passed on Father's Day and uh, one of his lines was, uh, my anger wouldn't let me feel for a stranger. Mm. And, you know, stereotypically, a lot of black uh, males grow up without fathers. And unfortunately I was one of them. He wasn't like a super deadbeat, but he just wasn't around. Like he'd ask me what's my shoe size or hey, I'm going to pick you up and we're going to go to the park or I'm going to celebrate your birthday and I'd wait outside for like two hours but he wouldn't show up. And it pissed me off. I was real mad at him. And like, I'd see what that, what uh, the effect he had on my mom. So that line really spoke to me after he passed. I didn't really feel anything. You know, my mom broke the news to me on the phone and she was like, your father died. And I was just watching TV and I looked at her, I registered it. I was like, oh, and I continued to watch my TV didn't really hit me because uh, my anger wouldn't let me feel for a stranger. I didn't know the man, you know? I knew his name and I knew that was my dad, but that wasn't my dad. You know, I grew up on uh, cartoons and all that. That was my father, but hit Tupac was a father figure to me, even though I never met him. You know, he obviously wasn't my dad, you know what I mean? But just a lot of the words it made me who I was. Not who I was, who I am, yeah. sorry. And uh, it still makes me think and question. You know, he was very intelligent in different ways that a lot of people wouldn't find as intelligence. You know, he, I don't know if he had the best test scores or if he went to a, like a preppy college, which a lot of people would find that's where your intelligence is, but really it's what you do in situations, how you interact with other people and how you think about the world and see it, in my opinion, at least. Huge shout out to Shavarius for being vulnerable in that way. My my eyes are wanting to water right now, actually. That was a little bit deep. That was, actually, that was a lot deep. Let me, let me talk, you know, a little bit about, you know, my relationship with my father. And I think we've talked about it a little bit uh, here on the podcast. Um, you know, my parents are still together and, and, I, and my relationship with, with my parents uh, is fine. You know, there was a rough patch in my early adulthood, you know, dealing with, you know, me being gay and what that means for my relationship with my parents and all that sort of thing. Um, you know, what what I value most about my relationship with my dad now is that he understands how rough a, a, a schedule like mine is because uh, when we were growing up, um, he worked overnight. He's a, you know, he's a, a, a scientist and he would always, you know, have to work during the nights. And, you know, now he's he's on a day schedule and um, actually teaching at a at a college down in uh, down in Memphis. But, you know, there's I'm filled with so much guilt because I can't be in communication with my family as much as I would like to, because when they're up and about and doing that sort of thing, I'm trying to get rest or doing work or something. Yep. And then, you know, the, the time when, you know, what is a person's evening when they can, you know, be social or get on the phone or whatever. For me, that's seven, eight, nine o'clock in the morning. And that's when they're at work. And every time I do get a chance to talk to uh, my dad, he makes it very clear to me that he understands, you know, what I'm going through, that um, it's it's rough. Um, at the time of us taping this, uh, yesterday was his birthday, uh, actually. Oh, happy birthday, Mr. McQueen. Um, yeah, that, yeah, what, what, what Shavaria said just, just hits me a different kind of way. Because, you know, I also think about how lucky I am um, 
and and as he laid out, you know, as as a as a black man to have grown up with my dad in the house, you know, both of my parents were in the house and right. and, and they're still together, you know, um, and that is just not the reality for for so many people in the way that Shavarius, you know, listens to Tupac's music and looks up to Tupac, a as someone who was not his contemporary, you know, this is someone he's listening to in past tense, you know, um, and then B as someone whose experiences and whose music, you know, really speaks to him in a personal way like that. What if there were a, a, a big C classical version of that? You know, what, what if there were those sorts of stories being told, um, through our airwaves and 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 through our reach what would all of this look like if this young person had a classical artist a composer a performer someone to look to in the way that he looks um and the way he looks at Tupac and and not to discount Tupac you know because his as he said he is a classic artist in hip hop you know um poetic you think he's dead? poetic justice is one of my favorite movies you know um, you think he's dead how I, I don't think I have the authority to say one way or another. Nice I think out. I'll leave it at that. Um, and I know that your relationship with uh, your father is still very tight. Um, yeah, it's a, I, I feel very lucky in that regard. And, and also, I know what he was talking about, you know, to lose a parent uh, can be traumatic. And for him to go, oh, okay, and turn back to the television, I, I thought, oh, my gosh, I can't even imagine not having that connection with a parent. Yeah, can't mourn for a stranger. I right. think it is yeah. the bar. So, mm. um, you know, but, but again, from listening to him talk and everything like that, um, I, I think that he's got his head screwed, screwed on straight. You know, it's, it, I don't think that it's messed with him outwardly. Yeah. So and I actually happened to see him um, at the fair this year, not when we went, but uh, when me and Dell went, um, you know, it was so we went on a Saturday. So it was super crowded. He was actually working one of the rides and I looked <laughs> over and I noticed that he had he, the, he had seen me. Um, and he was waving. So I waved back and instantly, you know, recognized him. I wish I could have gone over there, but, you know, it's just a sea of people and you can never sh sift your way through. But he is the sort of young man that is going to grow up and be a good father. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, and that's look a really out. beautiful thought. Yeah. I think I asked him that uh, after I turned off the mic, I, you know, because I didn't want him. I didn't want him to feel like he had to put all his business out there, but I, th I think he said as much that, you know, he's going to be a much better father than his father was. Shout right. out to Shavarius. All right. Uh, I think we have a few, uh, I think we have a few more uh, student responses here. My name is Quinn Blackburn. I'm 18 years old. Uh, my classical music has really changed over my life. Uh, more in like middle school, I would listen to like alternative rock and more like grunge kind of stuff like i was really really into nirvana for a long time and red hot chili peppers and people like that um it's kind of ex hard to explain how that happened because my parents weren't into any stuff like that so it was kind of just my friend group that i was with they really liked you know kind of classic rock and just all kinds of rock um and so they really introduced me into that, and um, it just, I would just discover stuff by myself after I got a small start for it. Um, and yeah, that went off into about freshman year of high school, and my brother was always really into rap and hip hop. Um, and so I started listening to like Kendrick and Tupac, um, and that just started my search into hip-hop and rap so while you know i'm here with these kids trying to um make correlations bet between the concepts of classical and the concept of what they consider classic music you know i had to know if he could draw any correlations between uh, you know that rock and that grunge and also the the hip-hop and r&b you know two genres that also are 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 seemingly uh non-complimentary and uh and he's and he said this definitely especially the type of hip-hop I listen to now, it's like more of the underground kind of, um, like kind of how, you know, Nirvana was. Nobody really listened to them at their time, um, but uh, they're huge now. But yeah, uh, I really listen to more 
underground stuff, and there's definitely a lot of connections between just um, kind of feeling like a out uh, an outcast in a sense in the music and um, just the emotions that it conveys through the music. You can't help but to wonder if, well, I couldn't help but to wonder if he felt like uh, an outcast, uh, and, and he goes in, into that here. Yeah, it's different for different crowds, of course, but I kind of have like a problem with social anxiety. So like in a lot of crowds, I just don't really fit in for the most part, um, or I feel as if I don't in my head. And so I usually stay to myself for a lot of the times. I had to know uh, if he ever felt like an outcast by the by the way he uh, he used that word outcast, and he goes into that here. In a sense, um, it's definitely very situational. What's going on in my life at that moment, or uh, just a lot of different uh, variables go into how I'm feeling mentally. I was a lot like him growing up because. Um, when I got out of high school and just started into college, I was searching for any kind of music that very few people had heard of. Mm. If it got on the radio, then that meant it was they had sold out already. Right. You know, so I was I was always trying to find music that other people weren't listening to so I can key into that. But I do have to say, though, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah, that's that that could be a classical music because I was 17, 16, 17 years old and listening to the Red Hot Chili Peppers. So. And that music has sustained. And uh, what well, I, I don't know if it's sustained. <laughs> um, maybe. It, OK, so maybe it has sustained, but it, it hasn't evolved any. Yeah, it's still the same SoCal sound. You know? I mean, I can't, you know. Uh, I, I get I, I take no pride out of saying that I can't name a Red Hot Chili Pepper song for you, but I, I do know that that band exists. I, I, I know their cover of uh, Stevie Wonder's Higher Ground is probably their finest hour. All right. I'll uh, I'll, I'll take a look at that. Um, you know, just about everything I know about grunge and, and, and that sort of genre of music, I learned through a. Uh, programming classical music there's a, a a composer his name is scott McAllister. he um a lot of his music is inspired by grunge and 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 rock um and this is i'm about to show myself he wrote a clarinet concerto called black dog which is inspired by the song black dog by led zeppelin okay see i didn't even know that much it wasn't at the top of my head but an even better one an even grungier piece of music is one called um x it's a clarinet concerto and the title of it is x just like the letter x and um he talks about how he was inspired by Nirvana, but also a band called Alice in Chains. Yes. Um, and see, and I don't know that band, but I... Right, I was but, paying more attention to Alice in Chains than to Nirvana. And, and yeah, he wrote two clarinet concertos inspired by those sounds. So, yeah, uh, look up Scott McAllister if you're looking for a, an interesting uh, mix of grunge and, and classical. Um, yeah, great, great response from him. And, I'm, uh, and, and, and just like, you know, a lot of the students we've heard from so far, I appreciated him, you know, being a little vulnerable and saying that sometimes, you know, he feels like an outcast. And sometimes that music helps him, you know, feel not so, you know, not so much like an outcast. Not so alone. Yeah. yeah. Now, the final Jennings student we're going to hear from today, his name is uh, Giovanni Sonata. That's his uh, stage name. And, um, and you know, Scott, how we, you know, here and, and everywhere else in the world, we fight the idea that classical music is white people music. Yep. Well, uh, Giovanni Sonata is an aspiring rock star. And um, I actually asked him the same question. I, I said, um, what, do, what do you say to people who uh, consider what you're interested in going into white people music? And, uh, and this was his response. I get that so much and I get so many stares and I just feel like I don't even try to make a statement with what I do, but I feel like I am because People aren't just, it's, it's not, they're not used to it. It's a rare idea to them, but they don't know that rock and roll music originally started with black musicians. Mm. You know, we had the Chuck Berries and the Little Richards and the, all of that. So I felt like it just kind of over time shifted into a white people thing because it was a time when like 
major, there was majority of black people singing rock music. There was, you know, during that time we were going through racism, we were going through segregation, all this other stuff. So white people, some white people weren't, they really didn't like listening to it. And they didn't allow their children to listen to it. And then over the time, as racism didn't become, it's still an issue today, but it didn't become as much as a, you know, civil war and all of that big issue that it was, white people was like, okay, we got this music, we could listen to it, but... We still need to, like, we like the music, but we need white artists. We need white artists for our children to listen to. We don't want our children listening to Richard. We don't want our children listening to this. So that's when white people, to me, that's when I feel like white people kind of, like, just, they didn't take over. They didn't take anything, you know, because music is music. Anybody could do music. I just feel like majority of white artists started to become, you know, the, what's the word? I'm just gonna say it. They represented rock and roll. The, the standard. Yes. Yeah. You know, we didn't no longer when we thought of rock and roll, we didn't think of Little Richard. We didn't think of them. We thought of Elvis. And until this day, I have a very valid argument about that. Okay. Till this day, that's still a thing. People see white people as just they're the rock and roll. Like they could do rock and roll. You can't have a black rock star. Mm. If you have the problem with a black person singing the white genre of music, then that's how you feel. But personally, to me, I'm a black person who's a singer. This is a music that I just so happen to sing. It has nothing to do with color. It has nothing to do with that. It's just rock and roll music could have been a major part in African-American culture. Yeah. You know it still is, mm -hmm. but it could have played a bigger part. Rock and roll music could have been up there with hip-hop when it came to African-American culture. But over the time, it's shifted to, you know, to white people doing it. So I feel like that's just, yeah, you know. So, Scott, the first thing I'm going to ask you about what Giovanni said, I'm going to tie it. You, you let me listen to um, the opening of one of those um, 1619 projects specifically that talks about the history of black music. But they that was episode four. You should go listen. And you. Uh, and you were really drawn back by hearing all of these, you know, rock tunes that are nostalgic for you. Yep. And then the host drops the bomb that, you know, this is all black music. How much? And so, OK, so what we talked about from there was how I kind of got what what the host was going at, you know, about 17, maybe 20 seconds in. Yep. How how much of that opening do you think Giovanni has to listen to to understand where that host was going? Probably the similar amount probably to you. Probably even less than me. Yeah, because probably. He, you know, what, what do you have to say about, um, and, and again, before we heard from him, I, I kind of tied his response to the idea of rock being white people music to classical music being white people music. You know, now that you've listened um, to that excerpt from, um, from uh, the 1619 Project and after hearing what Giovanni had to say, what, what is your response to those two things coming together? Well, first off, Giovanni, you got to go and check out Bad Brains. Okay, so Bad Brains was uh, one of the uh, original DC punk bands. Uh, I would point him in the direction of Fishbone and also Living Color. Vernon Reed is probably one of the most underrated rock and roll guitar guitarists out there, and he's a black man. Yeah. So, well, Living Color is an all-black rock band. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, and frankly, I think it's encouraging. Um, you know, he he might be a minority making that crossover into quote unquote white people music yeah but he has just as much claim to it as everybody else on the street if not more you mm -hmm. know when you think about its uh when, when you think about its origins and that sort of thing and absolutely and, and that's yep. always my point in classical music listen this music does not belong to one culture or one people because we have all had a part in creating it, especially here in America, especially when it comes to American classical music. Yes. You can't begin to talk about any of this without talking about um, its connection to, if not the plantation, to, you know, the um, the Juba dance traditions of of, uh, of black Americans. You know, all these pieces of music talking about a cakewalk, you know, that yep. has ties to uh, black music. There's just, there, there's no separating it. So I thought it was really uh, poignant and really uh, interesting what uh, Giovanni had to say. So shout out to him. I hope in the future I'm buying one of his, uh, I guess CDs will, are already just you'll about be download, out. But, yeah, you'll be downloading one of his tracks. Yeah, I'm gonna download a Giovanni Sonata track. Yeah, so uh, shout out to him. 
And shout out to all the students we heard from the uh, Jennings School. Uh, thanks again to Val Honey for uh, having me in to uh, talk with the kids. And uh, yeah, I, I really in, I really enjoyed hearing, uh, you know, validating these kids and the music that they consider classic to their experiences and their culture. What's coming up next time on Triloquy? Uh, next week on Triloquy, uh, next time on Triloquy, uh, I speak with Megan Oglesby, one of our own. Our very she, own. She works on a performance today. She is um, my my uh, my only other black colleague here at Your Classical. So uh, I think I, I called it um, the Your Classical Black Employee Meeting. <laughs> We were all present. so uh, <laughs> 100% attendance. Yeah, so I'm going to talk to Megan Oglesby next time about being a mother, about uh, being black in this profession, and uh, what she does for the hit show performance today. Next time on Triloquy.